Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, and Happy New Year to you all. You guys excited to be at church today? Man, I, I've had so many conversations with people this morning that are like, man, this break between Christmas and our first service, we really start to feel it. We really start to miss people. Uh, if you've missed your neighbors or missed, missed people, make sure you're giving hugs and high fives as people allow them uh, today. But, but make sure you greet one another because I know that it's been some time since we've been together. But man, I am just like David. I'm celebrating that verse that said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord today? I'm glad to be back. It's exciting. Well, today is uh, a beginning of a new season and a new series, but I just want to make it really clear. Uh, Pastor Derek in the video talked about getting baptized. That's an important part of your first step, and uh, our team is back here. They've got their hands up. If you want to get baptized today, go ahead and step to the back of the room. Tracy and Sean will take care of you and get you everything you need, towels, uh, clothes to get baptized, everything after service today. We'll do that and take communion today, but you can get up, you can move to them right now, and they'll talk to you about that if you want to get baptized today. All right. Well, like I said, we are starting this season, uh, which is really awesome. I love this. We always start the first of our year by making sure we prioritize our relationship with God. The thing that I know about the holidays that is true for you and true for me is that they are busy. That we wind up doing all kinds of things that are not normally part of our schedule. We see a lot of family. We do a lot of traveling, lots of different events. Sometimes we wind up staying up later than we should, and that leads to a disruption of our normal habits. And so it's important that as we get into this new year that we get back into a rhythm of prioritizing our spiritual uh, relationship, that relationship that we have with God. Because everybody wants to have a good year, right? That's all we talk about at the beginning of the year. We've got New Year's resolutions, which some of you have already abandoned. Um, we, we, come on, you know it's true, right? You made some resolutions and they've already dissipated. The work just got too much, that food just looked too good, and the treadmill's a little difficult to get on some days, Amen. all the days. I would like to say that I am successfully for the last I don't know, I want to say like four years I've avoided the gym every day of my life. It's been great, so I'm going to keep that pattern in place. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but everybody wants to have a good year, right? And I'm just going to tell you that if you want to have the greatest year of your life, it needs to be the greatest year of your life spiritually. Can I get a witness out there, anybody? Yeah, it, it just needs to be the greatest year of your life spiritually. And the way that we do that is we make sure that our spiritual disciplines are in place because what I know about disciplines are or our habits are is that we form those things, we form our disciplines, we form our habits, and then those things form us. They shape us. Disciplines are not based on emotions. They are decisions that we are making about how we are going to behave in any given moment. And when we make those decisions, regardless of how we feel, discipline keeps us in that place. And over time, those disciplines begin to shape us. They change us. They transform our lives. And I'm going to tell you, spiritual disciplines are a powerful thing. So at the beginning of every year, we want God to know he's the most important relationship that we have. And so we prioritize him by grabbing 21 days because it takes 21 days to form a habit. So anybody who's gotten out of the rhythm 
of being in a relationship with God, spending time with him on a regular basis daily, this 21 days is intended to help you reset, to, to get back into that habit. And so 21 days of prayer starts today, and it's fasting as well. We do this twice a year because the summertime disrupts us a lot as well, and so we do it in August. But in, in, in uh, January, we do prayer and fasting. In August, we do prayer and feasting. Can I get a witness out there, right? Ooh, bless God. But we're doing the fasting right now, and it starts today, and it goes for 21 days. So that's January 7th through the 27th. And we've got some resources to help you that Pastor Derek talked about, daily videos that are going up at 6 a.m. with prayer focuses that can be part of your first 15, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in, in listening to God by being in his word, and five minutes in worship, telling him how much you love him in any way that you want. But then we're also doing this, this fasting thing. And so if you've never fasted before, let me just kind of briefly help you understand what it is. Fasting is taking something that your body needs. So your, your three parts, right? You are body, soul, and spirit. And it's taking things that your body, that we are consuming, and it's turning down the volume of those things by cutting them out. We, we, we cut them, we remove them from our lives so that we can turn up the volume of the spirit in our lives. That's what fasting does. And so there's several ways that you can fast. Most often in the Bible, we find fasting has to do with what we eat, okay? And so there's a complete fast that you can do where you eat nothing for 21 days. This is a difficult one, and I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me from the side. I've never done this before. It's hard, it's difficult, but people do it, and they just drink water or some fruit juices. But if you're gonna do a complete fast, I wanna urge you to make sure that you talk to your doctor to make sure that it's safe for you based on the medications you're taking and your, your physical condition. The second kind of fast, so there's complete fast. You don't eat anything for these 21 days. Jesus did it for 40 days, uh, and, and so, so that's complete. But then there's also a partial fast where, hey, I'm going to fast this meal, or I'm going to fast these two meals, or I'm going to give up lunch every day. Or there, the Jewish fast would be found in this where they don't eat until the sun goes down, which is the typical one that I choose. So all day long, you don't eat anything. And then when that sun hits, which, bless God, in the winter months, that means it's like 4 p.m., you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Woo! Summertime, it'd be like nine o'clock and I'm dying like a dog, like, oh God, help me. <laughs> Whew. But, so you can do a partial fast and you choose, I'm gonna fast these kind of meals. And then there's a selective fast. This is the Daniel fast, if you've ever heard of this, falls into that, where you're gonna give up certain kind of things. I've been fasting my entire life, this thing called kale. Um, I don't know if you know about that. But you could choose like uh, you could you could choose to fast donuts. You could choose to fast caffeine, uh, fast sweets. You could fast certain kinds of foods. Give up meats. Maybe there's something that you like are like addicted to, or something you really struggle with. Like I have a hard time saying no to this thing. Maybe that's the thing that you choose to break its hold over your life this 21 days, and you go, God, I'm going to give that up. Now the next kind of fast is a, is not really a fast that you'll find in the Bible, but I think it's an important one. So we've got complete, we've got partial, we've got selective, and the last one is a soul fast. Now, a soul fast is about turning down the volume of the things that we consume in our minds. The way we, the, the, what, those things are things we listen to, and the things that we watch, or the things that we read. And so you consider this, you can consider the podcast that you listen to, the music you listen to, the shows that you watch on your TV or on your devices, uh, or, or, or the books that you are reading in this season. You can turn down the volume of the world by making sure you turn up the volume of the spirit. Maybe you don't listen to any secular music during this time and you only listen to worship music. Or if you're a podcast person, you just like to have that noise in the background. Maybe you choose to listen to sermons. There's a whole list of them 
on, on, simple, on our website you can listen to. Uh, but you can listen to any other pastor that you want to. Or, or maybe you're going to start reading spiritual books in this 21 days uh, that, that are going to help you grow spiritually instead of reading any of your romance novels or whatever you might read. I have no idea. Or your comic books. I'm not sure. But, but you choose to turn down the volume of the world for your soul so that you can turn up the volume of the Spirit. And that's what we're inviting you to. We're also inviting you to join us in reading our Bible, because we're reading our Bible through the entire Bible in one year. And, uh, and we're reading it chronologically. If you've ever picked up your Bible, your Bible's not laid out like a storybook, right? It's just not. There are history books. There are poetry books. There are prophecy books. Then there are the Gospels, which are the, are the, the four stories, the people that witnessed Jesus' life. And then there's all these letters that got written afterwards. But none of them are laid out from beginning to end. But there are theologians. Boy, our kids are having fun back there today. It's good. Bless God. Anybody glad that your kids are back there having fun today? Yes. Amen. I got some hands. Yes, yes, yes. But the Bible's not laid out. You can read it to beginning to end, but theologians have gone through and have organized it the best that they can. And you can read the Bible chronologically. You can read it as the story, as it played out in time and in history. And it's a beautiful thing. It'll change your perspective of God's story because history, by the way, is his story for us. It's his love letter for us. And you read it in order. You begin to see how everything played out, and it's awesome. So I'm going invite you to do that. If you've got the Church Center app, you can go right there. It's the, the link to download. The plan to follow us along with us is there. But then there's this podcast that we listen to called The Bible Recap Every Day. And it's basically, uh, we listen, it's about five minutes long, and she tells you, this is what you just read, and here's some historical context, here's some things to think about, here's what they might have meant when they use phraseology that we don't understand, because do you guys always understand your Bible? No, 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 <laughs> me either. And uh, you've got to look to smarter people than me. And so theologians have, are out there and have written, hey, this is what this would have meant to them. When they heard this, this is what they would have understood. And she breaks it down every single day. And she looks for God and teaches you to look for God in Scripture. I think we mistakenly look for ourselves in Scripture all the time. But she teaches you to look for God, and I love that. And she always ends, and if you do the Bible recap with me, finish this statement for me, because he's where... The joy is. There's my recaptains out there. You guys are awesome. So at the end of every podcast, she says that. I just want to invite you. It'll really expand your understanding of God's word this year. Please join us for that uh, and be part of that. Now, today, today, I wanted to set up that season, and now I'm going to set up our series, okay? Because this season is going to be really incredible. I'm looking forward to how God is going to move in your life and how he's going to grow you and how your life will change this year when you prioritize these spiritual things. But today... Today, I'm going to talk to you about the blessings of generosity. Do you, do you guys hear that? That's what you call tension. See, I think every time a pastor starts talking about generosity or giving or finances, the air gets sucked out of the room. What do we do? What's he going to say? Everything gets tense. But I want to say something to you before we begin today. I love you, and I don't want anything from you. What I want is something for you. In fact, that's what God wants for you. That's why he has, he, Paul instructed his, his uh, disciple Timothy to preach and to teach about finances. This is why Jesus talked about it, because finances and money, these are the, num the number one contenders for that place in our hearts that God wants to sit on. And so we need to speak to it. It's really, really important. And I promise you, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And that's why we're doing this series. So let me try this again. And everybody just relax. Everybody just breathe a little bit. Today, I get to talk to you about the blessings of generosity. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. 
Now, I know we have a lot of difference makers here in the house. I know we've got a lot of generous people, but let me ask the question. How many of you would say that you are pretty generous by show of hands? How many of you would say, I'm pretty generous? Yeah, I think I'm pretty generous. Yeah, okay, cool, awesome. I, I agree. I think at Simple Church, we have a lot of generous people here, people who value generosity. In fact, generosity is one of the things that's built into what we call our culture playbook. If you ever take Growth Track, which is our, our membership course here, it's how you become part of a church, join a team, discover how God's wired you. In Growth Track, we give you this culture playbook, and generosity is one of the things on there that we highly value. Why? Because we believe that being generous demonstrates that we trust God and that we understand that our generosity impacts the world. It's a value that we hold here, and we have much to celebrate when it comes to the generosity of our church. But the thing is, is a lot of people think they're generous, and when you ask them, they'll tell you, yeah, I think I'm generous, but they think they're generous because they give something, because they give, contribute in some way. But I have to tell you that giving and being generous are two different things. You know this to be true. You absolutely know that giving and being generous are two different things. The generous are the people who orient their lives around the thrill of being used by God to be a difference maker here in this world. That's who the generous are. And I want to share a couple thoughts on generosity and on people in general, but I want to be really, really clear that, that I'm not talking about the whole world. I'm just going to talk about the people here in our country because I can speak to our experience here. Right here in the good old U.S. of A., it is true that most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. It is also true that most Americans think we are generous, and we aren't. We just aren't. So let's unpack that for a minute. Why do most of us feel, uh, feel we, are, are, we aren't rich? Well, the answer to that is, is because there's always somebody richer than us, right? No matter what we have, there's always somebody that has something bigger and has something better. We play the comparison game and we go, well, well what I have, we diminish what we have. What, what I have is nothing compared to what they have. I've got a three-bedroom house. They've got a four-bedroom house. I, I drive a 2010 car. They drive a 2020 car. I, 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 I don't compare to them, but when we compare ourselves by ourselves or to ourselves, all we have is this frame of reference, and the fact of the matter is there's a whole big world out there. And when we start to compare ourselves, our wealth, compared to the wealth around the world, boy, it is staggering the difference. We begin to see the truth about our condition. We have to acknowledge when we pan out and look at the entire world's existence that we are blessed extravagantly so. We are truly blessed. In fact, I will tell you this, that if you drive a car today, if you own a car, that you are in the top 6 to 9% of the wealthiest in the world. If you drive a car, if you have one. We, you are blessed. But we take that blessing and our wealth for granted, don't we? For example, let me just give you an example. Today, most of us have this kind of experience, okay? Typical day, we get up and go, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm gonna go have lunch. And to get to lunch, we get in a car and somebody drives us to the restaurant. We pass 20 restaurants on the way to the one that we want. When we get to the restaurant we want, somebody greets us. We get a little grumpy because we've gotta wait 10 minutes and last time we didn't have to wait so long. And then we sit down and someone else comes up to us and asks us, what would you like to eat? And then we tell them, they go back in the kitchen and someone else prepares food that someone else grew or raised and harvested 
and prepared and packaged and shipped and sold and then shipped and sold again so it wound up at the restaurant and then somebody put it all on a plate and then served it to you and you eat your food and you leave your tip and you walk out of the restaurant. You get in your car. Maybe you're not the person driving so you're sitting in the passenger seat and you're crushing some candy or, or doing, doing some social media stuff, maybe playing on TikTok. Kids are in the back. Both of them got their iPads, and they're, they're being entertained with their YouTube or their Roblox. Come on, somebody. And then you pull up to your house, and you push this magical button that opens this oversized door, and you pull your car into a house made for your car called a garage. And you park next to all your extra belongings that you haven't touched in years that are just stored out there. You get out the car. You go into the house and that is climate controlled at a cool 68 degrees. Bless the Lord. 65, right, Sean? That's how we like it. Yes. All right, got you. That's my man right there. 65 in the winter. It's fine. 68 in the summer. Yeah. But you go inside and all of a sudden your belly, ooh, you kind of feel a little rumbly. You just ate something and nature calls. And so you go to this room where there's this seat. And you're able to eliminate what you need to eliminate. And once you've eliminated it, it's exited your body. You push a button. And by the way, it's also a comfy seat with your squatty potties and your bidets. <laughs> yes, it is. And you push a button and whoosh, what you just eliminated just leaves your life. No idea where it goes. Someone else cleans that up. Come on, somebody. And then you leave that place and... You go to bed in a room that's just for you. You get up in the morning, you go to church, and you go to your closet, you run your finger along all of your clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> it's how rich we are, guys. That's how rich we are. And we take all of that for granted. I've been in Panama on a mission trip where I had to carry a bucket of water up a hill into an abandoned house where the only toilet was near the worksite as we're building that church. And they said there was a tarantula in there. And I said, dear God, every day before I left the hotel and headed out to the mission field to do the work, dear Lord Jesus, please don't make me have to make on the field today. Dear Lord Jesus, I don't want to go in there with the tarantula. That's, I did it. It's a true story. I had a friend in Panama there. He lived just in the, in the community that we were serving. He lived in a shack, a one-bedroom shack. It was dirt floor, and the walls were metal scraps that he had leaned together. And that one room was his living room, his bedroom, his kitchen, his dining room, and it was for him, his wife, and his daughter. I've been to El Salvador. We're at the top of the mountain. The facilities don't exist it's a hole in the ground with a little throne that you sit on. There's no toilet paper there. There's no walls either. It is three-sided tarp. Now, the view, though, was amazing because you're at the top of the mountain and you're looking out over everything. It is amazing because there ain't no wall there. But there's also another view because the, the tarp has lots of holes in it and people can see a view they don't want to see. A view. <laughs> well, you're looking at a gorgeous view. There ain't not. Y'all see what I'm saying. There ain't no toilet paper there. I've been to Honduras where water is pumped in once, maybe twice a week, and they reuse all the water because they have no idea when their next supply of water is coming. 
where when they go to the restroom, if it's yellow, they let it mellow. If it's brown, we flush it down, and that's the only time. I don't mean to be gross. This is just, the, this is just reality. This is many people's realities where there's no infrastructure. There, there's no traffic lights. You get on the roads and try to drive in Honduras, you are literally taking your life in your own hands. And people that have been there, can I get an amen? It is terrifying. And our kids sleep in houses where they share a room with the rest of their siblings, their aunts, and their uncles. We are blessed. The problem is the average American doesn't think we are blessed. We think we're generous, though, and we're not. Here's something that is staggering. The average American, they give 2.8% of their income away. If you make over 100000 unfortunately, that average drops to 2.6%. My friends, this is not God-honoring. This is not generous, and that is not who we are, and that's not what we do. I think as a church, we can do better than 2.6%, don't you? As Christians, we need to lead the way for people to really see what generosity is all about. Why? Well, because we believe it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus said that. You should write that down. It's true. That's why we can do better. But the reasons we don't do better is simply because I think we don't believe we can. I think we've got a mindset. I don't think Christians have a generosity issue. That's not the issue we have. I think we want to be generous. I think everybody, if you ask them, would you like to be generous? They're like, yeah, I'd really love to do that. And the reason they don't, because they're too indebted and they're afraid. The reason we don't live a life of generosity is because of something called a scarcity mindset. And when you look up what this is on choosingtherapy.com, it says a scarcity mindset is an outlook on life that focuses on a lack of resources, which must be conserved and used strategically. People with this mindset are likely to become extremely possessive of their belongings and experience signs of money anxiety. Let me tell you something. Anxiety on any level, it ain't good, my friends. It's not good. That's a torment. It's a trap. It's not a good thing. But this mindset ultimately makes you believe that you can't ever get ahead, that you'll never have enough, or that you can't give because what if? We have fear, and it's a mindset that is a hurtful one because a scarcity mindset, unfortunately, is a cycle. And it's a cycle that we all get stuck in. It's one that once we get into it, we never seem to get off of it. Our behaviors within that cycle perpetuate its continuance. Here's what it looks like. It starts off with this. This is the scarcity mindset, is that God supplies. Because God gives us everything we have. Everything comes from him. God supplies, and we consume. That's what happens. We consume everything. We live paycheck to paycheck. Most of us live at our means. And actually, I would say most of us live beyond our means because we can afford the payment, the monthly payment, but we can't afford the price tag right now. And so we consume. We buy stuff. We live beyond our means on a regular basis, paycheck to paycheck. And, and when we're, we, what we get, when we get what we get, we get, we get all that, we spend more than we make, which is incredible because we are now in insane debt. And then something happens in our lives and we lack. We wind up lacking. And as a result of lacking, not having enough, we get afraid. Then our next paycheck comes in. And what do we do? We consume. We lack. We fear. Next paycheck. We consume. We lack. We fear. It just goes on and on and on. 
It's a never-ending cycle unless we choose to step out of that cycle. In fact, I would tell you today that if you were one of the people, and I'll just call you out a little bit and asking you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to point my finger at you, but I'm just saying, if you're one of the people that, that felt a little bit of tension when I, when I decided to talk about finances and generosity today, if you, if you felt that tension, you might be stuck in a, in, a, in a scarcity mindset. You might be somebody that's trapped in there. You might have that, that mindset of, I can't seem to get ahead. I'm always going to struggle and stuck in the what ifs. And it's a mindset that I'm telling you, you can overcome it. It's a cycle you can step out of. In fact, I think Jesus followers ought to have a different mindset, and I believe many of us do. That because of what God does through Jesus, we have a different response. We have something that we say, this is what we do. See, because of what God did through Jesus, what he gave us, we do something different than the rest of the world, don't we? We don't get caught in a scarcity mindset. We do that different thing. We step out of the scarcity mindset and we step into something else. And what we step into is blessed by God. It isn't a cycle of scarcity, but it's a cycle of supply. This is what we do. We give generously. This is how we step out of the cycle. We give generously. Christ followers do this because of what God has done for us. We give generously. Now, Paul talked a lot about giving in his letters to the churches that he planted around the world, and especially to the church at Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he starts and says this, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You say, Pastor Aaron, what does that even mean? Well, it means if you're pressured, if you're compelled, if you feel manipulated, then don't give. Don't give. Say, Pastor Aaron, what does that even look like? Cue the music. Look at that, he's got one eye. Okay, turn it off, turn it off. We got to cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Anybody want to buy those puppies and take them all home? You can have the cat. I'll take the puppies. <laughs> That's what manipulation can look like. It's emotional, visual. It captures your heart, captures your compassion. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you feel manipulated, if you're feeling compelled or pressured, don't give. That's not, we, we don't want to do that. Don't give. Why? Paul tells us why. In the next line, he said, for God loves a cheerful giver. God, God loves a cheerful giver. Give because you're happy to do it. So listen, I understand that you can give without loving, but I, you cannot love without giving. If you are in a loving relationship with God or with someone, you cannot love without giving. It is going to cost you. And giving in that loving relationship oftentimes will be sacrificial, intentional. When you've experienced the love of God, that experience that, that he gave us, that, that, hey, he gave his one and only son. When you experience the lavishness of his generosity, his grace and his mercy that was on display for us in Jesus, that we recognize God gave his all and he gave his best, that the only reasonable and rational response we have is for us to give our all and to give our best to him. And we do it cheerfully because we know we could never outgive God and we could never pay him back for all that he's done. We just couldn't. It's not possible. So don't give out of compulsion. Give because you have a heart that's been touched by God. That's why we give. 
Give cheerfully, give willingly, and give trustingly. Why trustingly? Because if you choose to live a life of generosity, watch what happens. Verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Don't give because you're under compulsion, but know that when you do give and you give generously, God gives generously. And let me tell you something, his generosity is way more than yours. He goes on to say, then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others, not so that you can just have more stuff, guys. That's not why we do this. This is not a transactional thing. So, Pastor Aaron, let me get this straight. Uh, I've got the numbers here, and you're telling me that if I'm generous, then God will be generous to me, and I can have more stuff? No. No. God gives to us so that we can be more generous. And the more generous you are, the more he trusts you with resources because he knows you're going to continue to be generous and to be a blessing to others. There's no lack here. There's no scarcity. There's abundance when we live a life filled with generosity. God loves it, and people love it when we're generous too. And I'm going to tell you something. Being generous is fun. I don't know if you know that or not. It is fun. Jesus said it this way. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Somebody should write that down. This is what we do. This is who we are as a church. We give generously because of what God did for us in Christ. Now watch what God does in response. When we give generously, God multiplies abundantly. Continuing on in that same uh, verse in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Paul says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In other words, everything you have, everything you have for yourself and everything you have to plant for your future, for future resources, to be a blessing, everything, God, God gives it all to you. In the same way, he will provide, and watch this, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can always make sure your refrigerator is stocked, you know, the one inside the house and the one in the garage, so that your garage is always full of stuff, so that you have the newest fashion items, so that you have the best cars and the biggest houses and the fanciest, most luxurious vacations. No, listen, God doesn't care if you have those things. He just cares if those things have you, right? He doesn't care, but that's not why he's blessing you. God is not blessing you so you can have more stuff. He doesn't bless you and enrich you in every way for that reason. The reason why is found in verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be, everybody say it, generous. So that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Do you know that generosity is one of the hallmarks of your life that will turn people's hearts to God? That the way you live your life, if you live a generous life, you'll be a light on a hill. You'll be the salt of the earth. You will turn people's hearts to God because of your generosity. So we don't live with a scarcity mindset. That's not who we are. We live with a supply mindset. It's different. Let me show you. See, a scarcity mindset, we're going to throw both of them up on the screen. The scarcity mindset and the supply mindset. We Just for review, the, the scarcity mindset, God supplies on both of them. We consume, we lack, we fear, we consume. It's a cycle. But when it comes to a supply mindset, God supplies and we give. And we do that first. That as followers of Christ, we give to God first. The Bible calls it the tithe. It's what honors him and we do it first. And when we give to God first, he multiplies. 
God multiplies what we have. He blesses what we, the remainder of what we have supernaturally because he can do more with 90% than we can do with 100%. Can I get an amen out there? It's just true. It's supernatural. It's not something you're going to understand. But then what happens as God multiplies the remainder, our faith grows. You say, Aaron, what's my faith? It just means your trust. Your level of trust in God grows when you give because you begin to see his faithfulness. You begin to see his blessing. It don't make sense on paper. And your accountant's going to scratch his head and say, what in the world is a tith? It's a tithe, sir. And how in the world are you paying all your other bills and you still have more at the end of the month than you ever did before? Can't explain it to you, but it's a supernatural thing. Mm. Your faith and your trust grows. And what happens is when it comes time to give again, you are joyful about it because you know that God will provide for you. And it's a cycle. We give, God multiplies. Our faith grows and we give. Continues to be that way. Instead of living in a, in a fear of lack, this is what we do, guys. This is how we need to live our lives. We give out of faith, worshiping God with the tithe. So what am I saying? What does the tithe do? I'll tell you what the tithe does. This is what I believe, and this is what's found in your Bible, is that tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a new cycle of supply in your life. That's what it does. That's what it does. Tithing is, is in the Bible, is, is a, a tenth. That's what tithe means. It literally just means a tenth. But there's an element of tithing that is about it being first. It's not about you waiting till the end of the month. It's not about you waiting until everything else has been paid to see if it's left over. That's not honoring. That's like, God, I'll give you my remainders. I'll give you my scraps. That's not a priority relationship. Priority of, of tithing says, God, I'm going to give it to you first and I'm going to give you 10. I call it the first and 10. That's some football terminology right there. Everybody wants the first and 10. God wants that first and 10 too. We want to be there. We, so, so because, and, and even in scripture, God talks about the tithe and he says the tithe belongs to him. So we don't give it. We just return it to him, right? Hey, it's yours. You gave me all this. You asked me for that. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give it to you. In the Bible, Jesus confirmed the practice of tithing. In the Old Testament, tithing was included in the law before the law was ever given. We see that tithing was predated. Abraham did it. Jacob did it. He said, you're going to be my God, and I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. It's scriptural, guys. Tithing is honoring God. It's important. I've had lots of conversations with people. They say, well, I can't afford to tithe. And you're never going to be able to until you do it. But once you do, it breaks the scarcity mindset and creates a new cycle of supply. This is what we do, guys. When God provides, we give back 10%. He multiplies the remaining 90% supernaturally, and our faith grows. We trust God. He gives us more supply, and we continue to return to him. And we grow in our generosity that way. But tithing starts it. Tithing does more, though, than just break the scarcity cycle. Tithing has three other things. There's very powerful things found in the tithe that I'm going to share with you. And the first one is that the tithe teaches us to put God first. That's what it teaches us, that as you have this in your habit, that, that the 10% of everything in the increase in my life, this is your paycheck, this is if you've, for any way that you're going to increase, like you, if you've sold a house or sold some property and you earned, you had a growth in that area, that's increase in your life that God blessed you to have, and you can tithe off the increase, and the Bible tells us to, to give of the first fruits of everything, of all the increase, and so we do that, we honor God, and we put him first. That's why I'm teaching this the first Sunday of the year, because we're going to go through 21 days of prayer and fasting, prioritizing our relationship with God. We might as well get this area right at the beginning of the year, too. Amen, everybody? 
It's important to let God know that he's first. It's honoring to give first, not to wait to see what's left over. And by the way, I know that it takes faith to give that 10% first. I know it. I absolutely understand it. And I know that the more that you make, the bigger that number gets. And it takes faith to do that. It absolutely does. But it lets God know that we trust him above all else. Now, I get it. Some of you are sitting here going, daggone it. I should have used the snow excuse. I should have slept in today. I shouldn't have come to church because, yeesh, this is scary stuff. I know what you mean. I get it. I've had many conversations with people over the years, and some of them go like this. Well, uh, Pastor Aaron, uh, PA, um, for me to uh, tithe, um, you know what I'm going to have to do? Uh, That means I'm going to have to um, rearrange my whole life. Yes, that's what it means. Well, but, but for me to be able to do that, I'm going to have to give up something. Like, I'm going to have to cancel my cable, or I'm going to have to give up my ESPN, or I'm going to have to, like, I can't take the boat out every weekend like I'd like to, or I'm, I've got this expensive habit, or these hobbies, or, you know, I drink like, I drink like 10 energy drinks a day, right? That's, that's, a, that's an expensive habit every day. I, 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 you, you mean I'd have to give some of these things up? I'd have to sacrifice? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. But that would stretch my faith to do that. Yes. Yes, it will. There's nothing. That's, you talk about that like that's a bad thing. It's not. Why would we do that? Well, because it takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to give last. It takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to give last. When I, when I tithe, I use the text to give option that we have here. And when our paycheck hits, I get up in the morning and I'll see I get that email that our direct deposit hit. And the first thing I do is, as part of my first 15, the time that I'm spending with the Lord, I use that time and I tithe and I put that number in and I thank God for his provision. I thank him because what he's given me, I want to honor him with that first 10%. And I let him know, I trust you. And I thank you for all you've done for me. I thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus. And I let him know it's my honor to return this to you because it's all yours. Trust him. Teaches me to put God first. That's what tithing does. The second thing tithing does is the tithe builds your faith. When we give, we see God's provision. We see his faithfulness on display in our lives. And he said this in Malachi 3, chapter 10. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse, by the way, just means the temple, the the, the church. That there may be food in my house. So this is God talking. Where's his house? It's the church. It's where his spirit rested. So it's why he's talking about this. He said, test me in this. Which, by the way, you won't find God say this anywhere else in the Bible. There's nowhere else that he says, test me. David said that we could taste and see that the Lord is good, but God said, regarding tithing, test me. Let me prove myself. Test me. That's the invitation. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God wants to see if you'll test him to find out that his way of doing things is better than your way of doing things, better than the world's way of doing things. He says, just test me. Just test me. And once you tested me, once you tasted, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. And God is saying it to us in this text, give me your first and your best, and I'll bless the rest. 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without it. Say, Aaron, I can't afford to tithe. You never will until you start. You got to do it. It's like developing any muscle or any discipline in your life. You're never going to be good at it until you do it, until you give it a try. 
Many of you know that, that I have a, a hobby. I, I, do, um, I do magic sleight of hand stuff, okay? And I love to play around with playing cards. And one of the things that I like to do is, is uh, to display the card and then to make it vanish just like that, right? You guys see that over there in the cheap seats? I don't know how, I don't know how it works. I'm not really sure. Can't really tell you. But I, I, I show this all the time to people, and they go, how do you do that? And then I show them. Well, it's simple. You hold the card here, you Spider-Man grip it, you bend it, you, and you do that. And when you do it really fast, all together, it makes it vanish. Some of you just learned something. But watching people do this, they give up in the first five seconds. I can't do that. You didn't even try. And if you did, the first time they did it, just popped out of their hands and falls on the floor. Yeah, I'm just not going to be good at it. Let me tell you something. Learning any discipline, learning any kind of skill takes time and effort. You're going to fumble. Can I tell you how many hours I sat alone in the basement of my parents' house in front of a mirror, flipping that card back and forth on the back of my hand? Say, Aaron, this begins to explain a lot about you. <laughs> Poor guy. But think about what I'm, what I'm saying here. You can apply this to any discipline in your life as you begin it. You're not going to be able to do it until you do it. You're not going to be able to figure it out until you try. Some of you are going to start tithing. You're going to say, God, I'm going to give you faith. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it right now. And you're not even going to consider how you need to rearrange or reorganize your life, and you're going to have a tight month. But some of you need to just consider your ways and go, okay, I need to shop here. I need to coupon. I need to clip coupons here. Some of you got to, that's what, that's what you're going to have to do in order to get into the rhythm of that. You say, Aaron, that seems like a lot. Uh-huh. It is. It absolutely is. But it's important that we learn to get this discipline in place. Generosity is like that. So you break the scarcity mindset, you step into this abundant supply cycle, and it not only changes your life because it's better to give than it is to receive. Um, Jesus said that. I should probably write that down. Um, generosity changes lives. It absolutely does. Remember, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience the blessed life that comes from being generous. Now, I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to tell you, this may sound like I'm bragging, but I promise you, I'm not bragging personally. If I'm bragging on anything, I'm bragging on God's provision. My wife and I sold our house last year, and we looked at the, the we got almost double what we paid for it. Yeah, let me tell you something. That's been a blessed journey. And when it came time, we said, okay, this is what we paid for the house. This was the increase on the house. We tithed on that amount. And I'm going to tell you, I got to write the largest check I've ever written in my life. I'm talking thousands of dollars. I'm talking a lot, a big check, and I'm not bragging. What I'm saying is, is that I have walked with Jesus, and God has blessed me. And when he blesses me, I'm going to tithe off the increase, and I'm going to show him that I'm going to be faithful to him because, man, he's been so faithful to me. And I joyously, I'm telling you, it was during the week. It wasn't during a service. I brought the check in like on a Monday. I skipped from my office all the way to that give box, and I dropped that check in the box. And I was like, I am so excited to be able to do this. I've never written a check this big. Some of you are like, Pastor Aaron, what's a check? And um, we can have that conversation later. It's a thing. <laughs> anyway. But y'all know what I'm saying. I was so thrilled to return that to him because of his blessing on my life. I'm not here to, I'm not bragging that I got to write a big check. I'm bragging on God. I was so thankful for that opportunity. And I'm looking forward to the day that I get to write a check that's twice that amount and 10 times that amount. I'm looking forward to the day that he trusts me enough and that I have the faith to write that check. Would you? It's a lot of money. 
You know what I could do with that money? You could get into that scarcity mindset. But I want to step into a supply mindset. We don't live in that scarcity mindset, though, do we? This is what we do. Tithing teaches us to put God first, and then it teaches, uh, it builds our faith. The last thing that it does is that the tithe provides for the work of God's church. It's what it does. When you return 10% to the church, we do a lot of it, a lot with it to make a difference. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that there's supply for the work, that there's supply to meet the need. That's what it's for. Let me just ask this question. How many of you by show of hands would say that your life is different spiritually because of God's work in your life through this church? How many would say, show of hands, look around. This church is making a difference in people's lives. Spiritual food in the house makes a difference. Someone gave so that we could do all that we do and make a difference in your lives. This is what we do. We are on mission to reach people far from God and teach them to follow Jesus step by step. In fact, every week here, we give people opportunities to say yes to Jesus. And every week, somebody does. Somebody makes that decision and says, yes, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. This church helps people in their time of need. We've got a team called the Community Support Team. We offer counseling. We offer financial help. We offer financial counsel, pastoral counsel, marriage counsel, mental and spiritual counsel. We are here to support people in our community. This church, we sponsor 60 kids in Honduras and go on mission trips to serve the people there in those communities. And those sponsorships make a massive difference, not only in the kids' lives, but in their homes and in their communities and in the church. I have watched that community completely change because of your investment in those kids. It matters. 300 kids and 90 families this year at Holiday Hope received Christmas gifts so that they could have a great Christmas. Thanksgiving, 60 meals from... Cracker Barrel were served to the, those living in the homeless encampments and as we served our sober living community that, that attends church here. 105 brand new bikes given away through our Joyride campaign at the, the 4th of July parade. Summer feeding program that fed, gave away hundreds of meals a week on top of the fact that we fund church plants and missionaries, food pantries, and more. This is what we do. This is what we do. We're generous, and we do this because of what God did for us and for clarity. John 3, 16, you know the verse. For God so loved the world, watch what he did, that he gave. He gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Friends, this is the invitation. We give. God multiplies. Our faith builds. He continues to supply for us, so we give again. God gave first, so this is what? We do. Now, I know you're hearing me say this is what we do, but I have a question for you. Are you part of the we? Are you part of the we? Are you part of the supply? Or are you part of a consumer or a scarcity mindset? Are you part of the supply and the contributor mindset? We are generous, my friends. This is what we do. And I want to invite you to be part of the we. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is a tough message. Jesus knew it. He told us you can't serve God and money, that that's our number one temptation, isn't it? To put money, to put it on the throne as it being our means of supply, as it being our means for peace and security, as it being our means for whatever we want to accomplish in this life. But God, that's your role. That's your place. And may we never forget it. 
And may we always remember it through the regular practice of tithing. Lord, I know this is going to be a challenge. I know we've got to rearrange our lives. I know I'm not asking for an easy thing, but I'm not the one asking for it. You are. And because of that, we know we can trust you. Because of that, we know that you're going to be faithful. Because of that, we know that the work and the effort and the plans we're going to make to organize our lives around living a life of generosity begins with the tithe and then grows with our faith to offerings above and beyond the tithe. To maybe even sponsoring a child, going on mission trips, funding some of these projects that we have to serve our communities. Lord, help us to grow in our faith. And I'm praying for the faith to trust you today. To be part of the we, because this is what we do. Help us, Lord. And as we continue in this moment of prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to speak to the room. What God gave first was a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be saved, for us to know him. And today, if that's what you need most, that's the most important thing in your life is to have a relationship with God. It's what we all need. The Bible says eternity is placed in the hearts of man. That means that there is, if you do not have a relationship with God, there is something missing that your spirit longs for in its connection with him. And so today, if you need that, Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven so that we could be in relationship with God. And right now, if you want to pray with me, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can pray that prayer. You can pray it out loud. We're all going to pray together. We're going to make a decision. Saying, I don't know if I can do that perfectly. I don't know if I can live it out perfectly. You're not supposed to live it out perfectly. That's what grace is for. You're supposed to live it out and submit to God's grace and his mercy. Let him transform you. You don't need to clean yourself up. That's what Jesus does. He gives you his spirit to do it. Don't stress about all that. What you need to decide today is that I need Jesus. And if you've decided that today in your heart and you're going to join me in that prayer, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's what I'm doing. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to point any fingers at you. Nobody's going to accost you or make you come to the front or stand up. But just slip your hand up now. Be bold. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. Everybody, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, heaven's having a party. Simple Church, celebrate with those who said yes today. It's why we're here. It's why we do what we do. We made that. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the, the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. and hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.